Hello and welcome to Found, TechCrunch's podcast that brings you the stories behind the startups from those that are building them. I'm your host, Becca Skutak, and I'm joined, as always, by the lovely Dominic Midori Davis. Hey, Dom, how's it going? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. And I wanted to ask you, do you like to like watch video tutorials or like watch things online to like learn about new things? No. (laughs) One thing I remember from, I think I learned this in high school or middle school. Oh, I I feel like I'm a kinesthetic learner. I learned that one term Mm. and then I kept running with it. I have to like do things and touch things. And even in college, I had to rewrite all the notes. I couldn't type notes. I had to write everything down on paper so I could feel the words. No, I totally get that. When I teach Pilates, I have to like write down what I'm going to teach by hand and then I don't look at it. But if I were to just like do it on my phone, I'm not going to remember it. Yeah, I won't remember it at all. Why do you ask? Well, I ask because we have a lovely guest today on the show. We're talking with David Rogier, the CEO and founder of Masterclass, which I'm sure some of our listeners are already familiar with. But in case you aren't, Masterclass is the streaming platform where you can learn from the world's experts on a variety of topics from baking to screenwriting to developing empathy through sort of high quality videos. And we had a great conversation with David. It was super fun. And we learned a lot about his thinking about Masterclass. We touched on his intention, his intentional ideation and testing process of what format would work for viewers. We talked a little bit about why he thinks of Masterclass as a creative first company, as well as his unique approach to hiring, because this isn't a traditional tech company or a traditional creative company. It was a lot of fun. So here's our conversation with David. Hey, David. How's it going? Good. Hi, Becca. Thanks so much for coming on the show. We're excited to have you. I'm thrilled to be here. I'm sure some of our listeners are familiar with your startup, but I think that's probably the best place to start. Why don't you start by telling us a little about Masterclass? The idea of Masterclass was, can we make it so that everybody in the world can learn from the very best? And so we offer classes from everybody from Steph Curry to Anna Wintour. And the idea is to learn things that you can actually apply into your life and also to learn from the very best in the world. And it is such an interesting concept for a company. And I'm curious, what was the journey like to start Masterclass? How did you come up with this idea to begin with? It was a very hard and long journey. It started, I was working in venture. So I was in investor. Started on the dark side. Interesting. <laughs> and I honestly, I didn't love it on the investing side. And I'm not sure how good I was at it. And I went to my boss one day and I I started talking to him about that. And I started to share that with him. And I realized I wanted to start something. He asked me what? And I was like, I'm not sure. The idea, you know, I'm not sure what. And he did something exceptionally kind. And he seated me without an idea. And that was amazing, right? I mean, that, that was so generous. And I kind of freaked out a little bit. I also, I don't know if this makes any sense, but it actually became a very dark time for me because I felt this was a once in a lifetime chance that I did not want to mess up. I didn't have a great idea. I don't know if there's a right way to think of a good idea. So much of our life, we have constraints and a path and guardrails. And this one, I really didn't. And you can't complain about it to anybody because you're not getting any empathy. But for somebody to be like, oh, so you have cash to think of anything you want to do? Oh, do you want a hug? You aren't getting any hugs, right? And so, you know, for probably a year, I was 
going through trying to think of an idea. I did everything from thinking of the needs I had. I thought about what are trends out there in the world. I started testing things. I tested one idea out that, um, so I am allergic to nuts. And I remember I talking to my dad and he's like, David, how cool would it be if you could like wave like a magic wand over some food and it would, would turn red if there are nuts in there? So I actually like tried to build a device that you would stick in the food. It's way harder to wave a wand that you would stick in the food and it would turn red if there were nuts. And we, we actually got it to work about 80% of the time. The problem is, is that you would die the other 20% of the time. Right. So that was a pretty bad idea. And then somebody gave me a great constraint. She said, choose an idea that even if it fails, you would be proud of it. That was an amazing constraint for me. And I think sometimes having a constraint helps you think of better ideas. And I thought really hard about that. And I was raised in part by my grandmother, who lost everybody in the Second World War and the Holocaust. And she instilled in me that education is the only thing that someone can take away from you. And I realized if I had this one chance, what if I could build something that people can't take away from others? And that meant it was going to be an education. And I started posting ads on Craigslist, asking to talk to people about their education. I started thinking a lot about why I didn't take online classes at the time. I um, started thinking about things I do take online. This idea kind of came about what if you could build a school that is for the rest of your life and it's taught by the very best in the world. And that was kind of the inception of Masterclass. I'm definitely curious, the VC that you were working with who did give you the money, what did he think of this idea when you came to him and were like, okay, I finally have like this idea I think I'm going to run with? It's a really good question. At first, if I remember, I presented him because I would try like every month to go present him the ideas I'm thinking about and I'm testing and I'm iterating on. And I think the Masterclass idea was like, it was split up among like two ideas. And he's like, sounds like one idea to me. Mm. And then I think he was just like, Go do it already. And did you blow like all of your seed money in the experimental phase or did you have to like... Good question. How much money was left when you came to the idea of masterclass? Very good question. I, I didn't blow all of it, but I probably, it's probably half of it, probably half of it. Because it was a couple hundred thousand bucks and I was testing ideas. And at that point, then I was practicing the film and testing the filming. So like, that's where a lot of the cost went to. So it was probably half of it. But you're right. I mean, like, I mean, to your point, Dom, like I felt on the clock, right? Because that money was going to run out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. When did you decide to go back and get more funding once you had an idea? So I think the job of like a CEO, the number one job is making sure you never run out of money. That's your number one job because everything else, like if you don't do that, everything else stops, right? And then two, I was taught to think of a startup almost as like a science experiment and where like every phase you're trying to test hypotheses or to reduce risk. So I think for me, when I went back to go raise more money, it was like, okay, I have this idea, but that's not enough to raise off of. What are the things people are going to think are the hard parts? is this guy going to be able to sign the best folks in the world to actually teach, right? Like, I don't come from the entertainment world. Like, that's going to be hard for people to believe that I can sign those people. Two, am I going to be able to make things that are actually good, right? The people are actually going to want to learn from. And then three, are people going to want to buy it? So I said, okay, with the little money I have left, how do I prove those things out? Signing the top 
people in the world. The only way is to like actually sign them. So I was like, okay, can I get one or two to say yes before raising or something? But the other ones I could prove out more. So for example, if I'm able to make good stuff, I can film test classes. We actually filmed a bunch of test classes. I'm trying to remember exactly when, but one of the ones we did was with my mom and dad and we like filmed them. And it wasn't like, we weren't going to put this on the site, but it was like, are we able to make something compelling and good? And, you know, we're going to actually buy this. I did polls asking people if they would buy it. I actually filmed a sample class, put it up for sale under a different brand. And we actually sold that class, but to like almost test like, Hey, was our math right? So I was trying to re kind of reduce the risk and prove points out. So I think the time we raised again, we had filmed some test stuff. We had put it up for sale under a different brand. I think we had a couple instructors say yes, but I don't think we had anybody signed yet. So it was still risky, but I was trying to reduce that risk. I'm definitely curious what it was like to sign who's now on Masterclass, of course, because like you mentioned at the top of the call, you guys have some really known and notable names, Anna Wintour, Steph Curry, Serena Williams. What was it like actually reaching out to these people and getting them on board? Was everyone sort of oh, I love this idea, like I'm on board, or did you have to do any education or convincing to kind of get people to sign on? I mean, everybody said the idea sucks and isn't going to work. I mean, like everybody. Really? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was, everybody told me the idea isn't going to work. And so, I mean, tons of no's. I couldn't even get into the rooms with the people on their teams. And I cold email, I mean, I was cold emailing to try to find anybody who knows somebody who might know somebody else to make the intro. And... The first one we filmed was with the author, James Patterson, and I cold emailed everybody on his team. And then somebody actually responded back to me and they like wanted to hear the pitch and I pitched them and then I wasn't sure. And then one day on my cell phone, I get a call from a number I don't, I don't know. And at the time, I guess you didn't get a lot of spam calls because I actually answer the phone. Like now I would never answer a call from a cell phone number you don't know about. Right. And the guy who's on the phone goes, hi, this is James. I was like, excuse me, Patterson. I'm like, the author? I was so unslick. And he's like, I saw your proposal. I talked to my team. If the timing works, I, I actually would love to chat more about it. And in my head, I'm like, is this somebody playing a trick on me? How do I know? I don't know what James Patterson sounds like, actually. Right? Like, and I've read, I've read a bunch of his books. I don't know what he sounds like. And then it actually was him. And that was the first one we filmed. That's amazing. So I'm definitely curious yeah. because, of course, all those names are on now. Was there like a time where you felt like a switch where people all of a sudden started answering your calls and emails or like, yeah. When did that change to people wanting to sign on? Yeah. So at first it was impossible. And you have to get people who really want to do it and believe in it and want to take that risk. Then it probably changed probably after like the first five. After the first five, we had launched. Because if you think about it, if you're one of our instructors before, this is before launching, if you think about what are the risks to you? Like, am I going to look bad on it? Is my brand going to be destroyed? Is the classes going to be things I don't want to be a part of? Are the other instructors, I'm not going to want to be a part of those, right? A part of that school. And so I think after five, we made sure that we started with the best in the world. And like you start at the top, right? And you really stay strict to that so that then people feel comfortable and safe and they start to trust you. We also, one of the big innovations we had was how we filmed our classes. You know, most online classes at that time were just like a webcam in the back of a classroom and just put on the web. And I think that's part of the reason why people don't like taking online classes. And we said, hey, what if we film it to look like a movie and at the production levels of a feature film? And all of a sudden, that not only has the effect of like, it's more interesting, right? The amount of effort and work we're putting into that class would be really maximize how, how good it is. But also if I'm an instructor, I'll be like, I know I'm, I'm going to be okay with how I look on the screen, how I'm shown. And that, that also helped. So I think probably 
after the first five. And then now, I mean, we say no to probably nine out of 10 instructors. Really? Yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. Hmm. How did you, um, do the instructors get paid to do this? Instructors are paid to do it, but I mean, nobody is doing it because of the money. Because like what I, that was the thing, like early on, I didn't know, like, I was like, how much are these going to have to pay them? Because I only had a couple hundred thousand dollars, right? Like I can't pay them. You know, if you pay a lot, you're, you're done very quickly. And then what I saw, and it was interesting, it was like, they all have other opportunities to earn more money. I mean, any of them can do a American Express ad and earn a tremendous amount of money. This was something where it was about them wanting to do it. Now, sometimes the act that we were going to pay show them, especially early on, that this is something that we are investing in and we really care about. But like the amount of time and effort they spend on this is not worth how much they would get paid. Yeah, because I definitely wanted to talk to you about advertising because it seems, at least on the master class side, all the instructors, it seems like when they get this opportunity to do it, it kind of solidifies them as an expert in the field. And I'm thinking that because... That's so cool to hear you say, Dom, because in the beginning, that wasn't like that. And that was our aspiration goal. So so thank you. One of the journalists I follow, when I saw she did one, I was like, oh, I guess she's like really about this life. Um, And so I wanted to talk to you about advertising and how you went about marketing this to get more or kind of like to solidify your own reputation. Yeah. Dom, are you asking like in terms of two instructors on the consumer brand side? Kind of both, because I guess, you know, the audience perceives this as these are experts. And also, I guess when people do it, they're like, I'm, you know, top of my game. How did you go about marketing and advertising to, I guess, both sides of it all? Yeah. Okay. So I think one is the choice of the instructors and always saying it's like the best of the best, right? There's so many times when you have an incentive to drop that bar, right? And almost anything you do, right, on brand, but like just you have to not drop it, right? The second thing was, we try to make the ads not seem like ads. So like our ads, like our main ad is actually what we call it is a trailer, right? And the people we have work on it are movie trailer folks. And so the idea was like, how do you not make it seem like an infomercial and you make it seem like something that is just awe-inspiring and really special and can change how you work or how you think or how you do any craft. I think that had a big impact on it. And then I also think... You know, a lot of it, especially on the instructor side, it is a small world. And so how we treat them is really important. And so like it was important for us early on that this isn't like a one and done type deal. This is a long term partnership and we want to do right by you. And so trying to make that class as best as possible, you know, making sure they get to approve any big thing in the class. It's them who decides what's in the class, how it comes across, the marketing, like that would answer. So I was curious how you guys think about structuring these different classes. Because I know some things like James Patterson, watching a video of him talking about his practices for writing definitely feels like something that can be captured in a video that you're kind of sitting down watching, maybe taking notes. Whereas, say, Steph Curry or Serena Williams talking about the sports that they play, those kind of things are sometimes better learned in doing or someone showing you in person as you're trying it yourself. And so I'm curious, because you have such a broad span of different types of talent who do these videos, how do you think about making everybody's talent fit into this format? Because some definitely lend better than others. Yeah. I mean, Steph Curry, you can't have him sit in a chair and just talk about it, right? Like, you're going to miss a lot of it. So like for Steph Curry, we went to like his practice court that he plays on, and he breaks down the drills he does, how he shoots, and he brings in other people that he has worked with right in there on it. And then the parts in the chair are almost like we have him break down game footage, right? And explain what's happening on it. 
there are some people who would, I mean, always love, I mean, instead of being able to watch Steph, like, I want to train with Steph. Right. Like, of course. But, like, Steph can't do that at scale. Right. And so the idea is, like, this is a way for him to share it with tons of people at scale that otherwise you would not have access to it. And there, what we also learned is, I don't know, have you ever been to like a question answer talk by somebody and like people are anxious to ask a question or are hesitant to raise their hand and talk about it or ask a question Mm -hmm. in part because they are there. Is this going to be a good question? Is the person going to think it's a good question? Part what we found is like by not being live is people feel more safe to be able to think about it and really reflect on it. Then the times we do have a live component or live Zoom with the instructors, then people feel more comfortable to ask a question because they're like, I was able to really think about it and prep about it. And thinking about when you guys did launch Masterclass to consumers, mm. what was growth like since then? Because I know you guys were founded a number of years ago at this point. You weren't founded like last year. So how was... No, we were founded eight years ago. Eight years ago. Eight and a half years. I think now eight and a half. So yeah. what was it like launching? What did you hear from consumers and how have you guys thought about growth since then? Yeah. The day we launched, this is like my own stuff, I assume the world's going to want to hear about this, right? It's been the thing I've been working on for years. So obviously people are going to want to hear about it and we're going to get tons of press and going to be a huge sales day. I remember some person on our team gave me a backup phone charger because he's like, your phone's going to be off the hook ringing. So I came in with like a lot of, you know, maybe false or high expectations. And the first day, I'm trying to remember, we sold like a hundred-ish classes and you're like, I am screwed. I am screwed. I went home and like I actually cried because I was like, I convinced three, you know, the biggest people in the world to do this. And I've been working on this for two years to get off the ground and a hundred people signed up like I'm dead. And I remember I called my mom and dad and they told me to to fake it until I make it. And at the time, you know, I was like, I mean, like I didn't know what else to do. And I went back to the office the next day and I walk in and someone in our marketing team has a big smile on his face. And I said, Hey, what's going on? He's like, this business is going to be huge. And I was like, what? And he's like, if I look at the CACs I'm spending on marketing, I can scale this very quick, very fast. And you're like, wait, what? And then day two, sales were pretty good. Day three. And you're like, all of a sudden, okay, if this is just the base and you're going to climb up every day, like, okay. So probably like day one, I thought we were screwed. And on day two, I knew it was going to be a big business. Um, what yeah. do you think attracted so many people to like want to, I guess, use Masterclass? Like, what is it about Masterclass that people are like really into? I think people want to learn. I think that's inherent trait. Two, I think people actually love to learn. I think school often beats that out of us, though. I mean, okay, uh, let me ask you all. I still have dreams that I'm late to a fi- an exam or I'm one, cre- I'm one credit short of a class. Do either of you like have bad dreams about school? Yeah. Yeah, the trauma from middle school is there. High school, sometimes. It so. is like PTSD. I mean, like it, it, there is trauma there, right? I think lots of people share that. And so if you can build a school that people want to go to and doesn't have that, then I think that taps into some very core needs of everybody. So what does that look like? Well, you say, hey, one, like tests and quizzes, that gets in the way sometimes of wanting to learn, right? Two is like, you know, for the first 18 years of your life, you are required by law to keep your butt in the seat. So like, what if you make a school where like, it's your choice and things are so good that you want to stay there and watch it. I mean, how many of us have sat in a lecture or class that you're like, this thing could have been done in three minutes, right? And so like, 
that's our bar. So we, our team tests every class, right? And I remember in our first class with James Patterson, he starts the class with, hi, I'm Stephen King. Hmm. And I was like, James, I don't think that's funny. He's like, it's funny. I was like, I really don't think so. We test it. We test every class and everything in it. And when you include that joke, people watch more. And you're like, James is right, right? And so like, we are like trying to make it to a science, right? Of what's going to engage you more. And I also think, I mean, how cool is it that you can learn from like the best in the world? There's something about that that's just, I don't know, I think just awesome. Sure. Yeah. And now we're going to take a quick break, but we'll be right back in a second. One interesting thing we see is that what people want to learn and how they want to learn changes over time. So in the beginning, we launched with single classes. And that was out of this, like, that's one thing we had. We only had a few, right? So we launched single classes. But we saw that landed very well with consumers because they're like, hey, I'm an actor. I want to take an acting class, right? Like, I want to write. I'm going to take a writing class. Then what we started to see a shift was that people started much more to think of themselves as multi-hyphenate. Like, hey, I'm an actor who also loves to dance, who also loves to play chess. And we changed our model to have an option that you could like take one class if you want to, or you could pay to take everything. That worked really well. In the pandemic, it shifted again. All of a sudden, people were like, I have a lot of time and I have a new hobby, right? So what they wanted was like, give me an eight-hour 12-week class or whatever it is on gardening. And I want to go really deep into that. And those things then worked and we changed evolved. Now, people are like, eight hours? I don't have eight hours to spend. Like, There's no way I'm going to sit down for eight hours and do stuff. And I might have some passion areas and hobbies, but like the world is changing and I need to learn how to adapt to it or upskill myself. So like now much more, the things people want to learn about are things around professional growth, right? And how like skills for them at work to a lot more on the personal wellness side, right? On sleep, on the relationship side. And then three, a lot on like science and tech. And so one of the things I love most is just like seeing how that changes. And then our jobs to constantly evolve. Yeah, I was actually, I just got the idea of, I wonder how much of the trends that you see are also tied to like the rise in like hustle economy, having multiple side gigs, the gig economy. And then now like everyone's back to work back in the office. And now you have like people who are working, you know, I guess there was like a new trend overemployed where people are working multiple jobs. They want to upskill, they want to like pivot. So I wonder like if you tie everything back to that. Yeah, no, 100%. We did a class with Chris Voss, who was the lead FBI hostage negotiator, right, on how to negotiate. That class did great. We did a class um, with Esther Perel. Esther's a leading psychologist. And it was about how the relate, how your relationships in your personal life affect them at work. And I think one of her hypotheses, which I think is really right, is the level of instability and uncertainty in the world is more than it's been in a long time. And that puts a lot of pressure, not only on us, but then also we seek help from our loved ones on it, right? And that changes how we engage and interact there. And then we have a class that's going to come soon. We have a class coming up with Kevin Hart. But what Kevin Hart does in this class is teaching you how to use different parts of comedy to actually achieve what you want in life, in actually work, 
in sales and how to lead, right? So it's much more how do you apply these skills into your life. And you've mentioned a couple of things here that, while more consumer-focused, are based on people's professional lives. And I did want to ask you about how you think about enterprise with a product like this. Like, of course, I'm not going to know who's the person to learn from for founder-driven sales of a startup, but I'm sure there are people people look up to and people emulate in that space. And have you guys gone into that area at all? Like, enterprise contracts of more like almost upskilling training just through the corporate customer? Yeah, that was a total surprise to us. We got approached by some large companies that their employees were using us to help do their job training. And that wasn't like a use case that we had thought much about. And so over the last you know year or two, we have started to invest in there. And that's done exceptionally well. And it's the same content in classes. And then there's things now that we film that just for that. For example, one class that we've done is with Kim Scott on radical candor. And that's something like it started in the workplace, but you can do it at home too in your relationships. And we have seen huge impact from it. And I think what's happening in the workplace is one, there's been a regression in soft skills. In the pandemic, being home, we actually got worse at empathy, at influence. And so what firms are starting to see is like, that is so important to actually retrain employees on because that's also one of the last things that AI can actually like Mm -hmm. affect, right? So we're seeing that, number one. Number two is a feeling that the lessons and how to lead that are out there are from a different era and that the world has dramatically changed over the last couple years and how you lead has to change too. And I think then three is the bar on training has just gone up. I mean, how we think internally is, even though this isn't, it's not a competitor to us, we have to compete against attention and time that people are spending on Instagram or on Snapchat. And so like the bar or the quality of that content has just risen. And I think that, has led to us being where companies look for, for their employee training. And I think at last count, over half of the Fortune 100 are now our customers. And we've spoken a lot about what Masterclass does for other people, but I would love to talk about how you run the company and your leadership style. And so how many employees do you have right now? We have about 300 full-time and any given time, probably 150 that are on the contract side or working on one of our classes you know, on set. And how would you describe your leadership style? It's a really good question. In three different ways. One, I don't care like if I win or who has the right answer. It's like, I want us to win. And so I think that is like, I'm trying to find what the best answer is and the right answer is, but that can come from anybody. And that's often means that's not my idea, right? Two is to really lead with a deep curiosity. I think our company attracts those types of folks because like that's tied to what our mission is. But I think that from that breeds a sense of like, I'm more, I'm more humble because like, I don't know all the answers that like, I want to figure out, but also leads to, to actually getting the best answer. And then I think three is trying to be like as transparent and honest and as possible. I think lots of parts of our culture encourage you to not do that a lot of the time, but I think that actually hurt, hurts you in the long run. And I wanted to ask a little bit about hiring too, especially oh, because what oh. you mentioned a little bit earlier about how you guys filmed these not to be like a traditional classroom type experience, but like a movie 
you film them as if it's sort of a feature film someone's going to go see at a theater. And of course, you're a tech company, you're a venture-backed tech company, but you're also doing this movie side. It's very content-heavy. Like, how do you think about hiring because you do have such an interesting internal structure? Yeah, I mean, we are a creative company. And so I think there's times you can figure that on the role, right? And what, what you need in a role. But I think there's times also where, sorry, I don't believe in consensus interviewing. So what I mean by that is like a lot of companies that I've worked for in the past two is like, anytime you want to hire somebody, interview somebody, there's going to be a slate of people that you're going to interview them. And like, you're basically seeing if everybody's going to be a thumbs up or they're going to be a thumbs down the person. And you hire the person if everybody's a thumbs up. That to me gets rid of the people that are often might be amazing at what they do, but might not have like the full skill set. And I, what, I, what I mean by this is like, like it, what it misses out on is the intensity of that belief in that person. So if everybody's a 10 out of 10 on somebody, like great, that's like an easy hire. But what you want to get is like, there's somebody who you interview who might not be good on the, let's say on the process side, but is really good on the creative idea side. If you're going to try to like get a 10 out of 10 from everybody who's interviewing them, you're not going to employ that person. You're going to get somebody instead who's like a five on, on all those dimensions because every will check everybody's box. But like, so if the person for us isn't good on the process, but is really good on thinking the ideas, let's find a role for that person that really is going to play into that person's strength. And the same thing on the vice versa, right? If they're really good on process, but they're like, hey, I am very risk adverse, right? Like you're not going to have them work on necessarily on the brand new stuff, but you're going to have them work on the stuff that really is important to you, but it has to go right. Does that answer your question, Becca? No, definitely. Okay. And I think we just have time for one last question here. And something I did want to ask you about, which I kind of alluded to a bit earlier, is Masterclass is obviously a great approach to so many different things and so many different topics and areas and things to learn. But it isn't necessarily going to be the right approach for every sector on the planet, everything you could possibly learn, as well as on the flip side, speaking for myself personally, like I can't watch something and learn from it. I have to be doing it with my hands. I have to be with someone hands on. That is just like how I learned hearing and seeing. I just I wish I could learn that way. It would make things quite a lot easier, but it's just not necessarily how I approach things. So I'm thinking like, how do you guys think about scale from here? You mentioned you guys have evolved the company based on what people want, which makes a lot of sense. But where can Masterclass go from here when there are both so many opportunities, but also this isn't a product and a solution for everyone? Yeah. Can, okay. can I ask you, Becca, like, how did you find school? I bet there's probably a bunch of it that you found very frustrating to you. There's probably some instructors that landed with you. Yeah, but I'd love to hear how you solve that in your life. Definitely a mix. I mean... Some classes you feel you got a lot out of. Other things you felt you were really teaching yourself on the side. So, I mean, yeah, it definitely depends on who yeah. is in charge. Yeah. No, I, I think it's really true. Like, uh, I'm not quite the same as you, but, like, I can't hear things and actually retain them. Like, I have to watch it or actually engage in it to do it. So, how we think about it is you have to address those things. So, so, for example, in our classes, there's ones that are project-based, right? So, like, yes, is there something to watch to help set up the project? Yes. But actually, most of the classwork is you're going to go and work on something. You're then going to share. You're going to put it back in the class and get everybody's reactions and thoughts to it. So, we try to address that. But I think in the future, to your point, it's like one is, you know, we only have 200 classes, which, like, there's still lots more things for us mm-hmm. to go and explore. But I also think... Some of the things we're working on are expanding how you can learn. So like to your point, so on the artificial intelligence side, you're going to see a lot of things on the interaction side. Imagine how neat it would be that you could submit a piece of work and get notes and thoughts back on it in a certain point of view. For the people who engage more, imagine artificial intelligence, like you can actually engage more, right? And ask questions and engage. And so I think that's going to be a big area and push. The enterprise offering 
could be a big area. And the consumer offering, I mean, there's so many more things actually teach us. And those things that we need to learn are constantly changing. So we are working on all those areas. Wait, okay. So I, I have two questions now. We're going to wrap, I promise. But, okay, would you ever use like those deep fake AIs to do a masterclass? On like somebody who is like, somebody who is not alive anymore? Or I guess anyone, like whatever you feel comfortable with. Would you do it? Yeah. We have talked about it a lot. I think if we did it, I think it'd be somebody who is dead. And somebody who's dead for like a while. But that it, like, imagine if you could learn from Abraham Lincoln or Shakespeare, right? Like how awesome would that be? But you have to do it in a way that isn't creepy, (laughs) right? Is authentic to them, right? As much as you can. So like, you know, if we're going to say I'd want to work with a bunch of scholars who, you know, are experts on that person and try to do it. And then we'd have to, honestly, we'd have to test it out and try it more because I've seen some and they are creepy and like that doesn't work. But like there is in my head, I can picture something where like, it'd be awesome to do that. So it's something that we are thinking about, but I haven't made a call yet. And my last question, you probably get asked this all the time. If you could teach a masterclass, what would it be? Okay, I don't think I'm anywhere close to that level, but um, probably something on on the learning process and how you learn and how to teach. I would try to do that. Um, is the area I would love to be an expert in. Like, I, I still think I have more to learn. Can I, can I ask both of you, if you could take a masterclass from anybody in the world, who would it be? It could be dead or alive. Hmm. Oh, my. oh, well, I would love to talk to James Baldwin. I don't know. That's kind of just a writer. Awesome. That'd be fun. Awesome. That'd be amazing. It'd be incredible. I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. I'd probably say John McPhee if I were to pick. Ooh. I love his writing mm-hmm. style. But I'm going to flip it back to you. We really do need to wrap up this one. But what is your favorite masterclass <laughs> yeah. you guys have so far? It's like asking me to like, pick like what friend I like the most <laughs> or something. Or I don't know. Like um, It changes all the time because uh, like taking new ones. But some of the ones, we launched one a little while ago from Noam Chomsky mm. on how the press can can shape how you think about things. That is really interesting and fascinating. We just launched one, you know, around entrepreneurship that is with Whitney Wolfherd, the CEO of Bumble. That's awesome. And another one I really like, the Kevin Hart one isn't out yet, but it's awesome. Cool. Yeah. Well, great. Well, we'll have to look into it when it comes out. But thanks so much for coming on the show today, David. This has been great. Yeah, thanks. I really appreciate it. So that was our conversation with David. Dom, what did you think? I cannot stop thinking about the fact that we need to see the cold email template he used to get James Patterson and Serena Williams. I know. No, that's such a good point. Because talking about cold emailing, like, obviously, like, we get cold emails all the time from startups, VCs, PR firms. And, like, some are like, oh, yeah, I want to interact with this. And others are just like oh my God, why on earth would you send this to me? So I'm like, he obviously did a template that worked to get some of these names. So like, you're right. Now I'm going to keep thinking about that. How did he find them? How did he find Serena? I'm like, how did you find her? (laughs) Was it through like (laughs) PR? Like, how did you, I need to know that clearly like we need that template. That was my first thought. What were your thoughts? I definitely can see why watching these videos would be like enjoyable, especially if it's on an area that you're interested in or someone that you would like to follow anyway. But the model of it's interesting to me because I feel like I would want to use this on like a one-off. And I guess that you can like go on and pay per video, but I just don't know how often I would use it personally. If it's just like, oh, one person I liked came up with a video 
on there, I went and watched it, and then what? Yeah. Like, I don't know if I would be like, oh, time to find more, because, like, I don't generally just, like, sit. Like, I love documentaries, but, like, long-form interviews with people or, I mean, these aren't all long-form interviews by any means, but that kind of a format, I don't know, it's just, like, not necessarily for me personally. I need to know who these masterclass loyalists are that are doing this all the time, because it seems someone is using it all the time. Yeah. I wonder if it is tied to how people really do want to upskill and how they download new programs. And, you know, there's a lot of tech stuff out there as well that people use to upskill. So I imagine that maybe this is, we should have asked maybe more about the demographic breakdown in terms of Mm. who is the consumer? Like, is it someone living in New York, working in white collar job, I don't know, JP or something? Or is it somewhere in like middle America or like who is the customer? Because I think that that could also help us or figure out who is constantly and continuously using the product. For sure. No, that's a great point. Because like you mentioned, stuff with upskilling or also he talked about like the enterprise potential here. Like there are totally use cases for this. Absolutely. Of like the thought of like really high quality videos where you can like learn from the best of the best on like a specific topic. But like some of them, like, I don't know, like I love to cook, but like, I don't know if I would watch one that had a chef in it talking about cooking or their journey. Like, even though I like that space, I don't know if I would watch that, but I could see totally if it's like, oh, I'm trying to get a job in X fields. Well, why don't I learn a little bit more about how to do it from like the person who's known for it and stuff like that, like before a job interview or like something like that. Like uh, there's so many use cases for it. Yeah, there is. I'm interested to see how it grows and expands from here because there's also even a lot of opportunity to work or like to partner and do in-person stuff because maybe like you buy a Gordon Ramsay masterclass and then a benefit of that is going to one of his restaurants. Oh, yeah. Like that would be like a totally different pairing stuff like that. Like I could totally be into that. Oh, you watch this thing and then we go and put it into practice or like something or we go and see it in person or you go and try it yourself. I know this reminds me, this is definitely not the same, but like once when I like during peak pandemic, my aunt decided that we should all make risotto over Zoom. She had this like quote unquote famous recipe. So we all got on Zoom and she like taught us how to make it. So we like watched her make it and then we all made it ourselves. But like that was fun because we all know each other. We're like joking and laughing the whole time. But like stuff that makes it more interactive, I could see like definitely kind of expanding the audience. Yeah. Because she also shipped us the ingredients, which was insane. That's fun. You know, I I was in a French club and I think that they tried to do cooking lessons once and they shipped us ingredients and stuff. But I think I just took the ingredients and I ate the food. (laughs) Um, I guess there's two types of people in the world. Um, But no, what we do need to parse, though, we do need to talk about him quitting his job and then getting a seed check. I know. I'm like, good for him. Like, I mean, if someone offered that to me, I'm great. But I totally get why he was talking about how it's weird to talk about how it was like a dark time for him. But like, I would feel the same way. Same like, I remember my sister had this project in college over the summer. They were supposed to come back in the fall with an idea of a company they would start. And my sister was like, well, I feel like I have ideas like that all the time. But now that I have this like set deadline and it needs to like fit all these criteria, she's like, I can't think of anything. And it's like, I feel like having the money, like, oh, the money, you could start anything you want. It's too broad. So I get what he was saying. He needed some constraints and boundaries before he could actually think of something. I know, because he didn't even have, like, an idea. It would have given me a lot of anxiety, I think. Yeah, same. I would have been freaked out for sure. Especially, too, because, like, company's now, like, eight years old. So, I mean, 500,000 is still a ton of money. 
but like back then, like, so he started that 2015, took him a while to come up with the idea. We're talking like 10 years ago. 500,000 was even more money then than it is now. That's a lot of money. <laughs> I know. I would love if someone gave me 500,000. I could definitely force myself into a corner to think of an idea. I'm not saying it'd be good. But I could definitely try. I know. I was. I, oof, I suddenly I have ideas. <laughs> Who wants to give me five hundred thousand dollars to see if they come true? I know. But wait, would you actually watch a deep fake masterclass? I don't know why this is on my mind, but would you do it? I don't want, I wouldn't watch like a deep fake anything. Q's totally right though. Like the people who have tried to do them so far, he's like, they look really creepy. And I'm sure there is a way to make them less creepy. And like, maybe I'd be into it then. But like, he's totally right that like, I haven't seen it yet. So I like don't know. Because it's like, I have yet to see an example where I'm like, oh yeah, that seems worth watching. and doesn't disturb me internally in some way. I know. I'm always like, like they were doing what? The holograms of like Tupac and stuff. I'm like, put them back, put them back. Oh yeah. I'm like... <laughs> It's a little bit. I'm good. <laughs> no, but okay. So if you had to teach a masterclass, what would it be? Oh, I would not consider myself an expert in like anything. I've gotten really into like barbecue smoking over the last few years. Maybe I'd do a masterclass on that. Like how to how to hack a $200 charcoal smoker from Amazon to create something actually that's okay, tasty. Wait, that might, and that's incredibly timely. You know, holiday seasons. Wait a minute. You might be on to something. We got to get you. What would you do? What would I? Ooh, that's rough. <laughs> um, I have no idea. Ooh, How to dress for a conference. Okay, yes. How to dress for a conference. That's probably all I got. That's all. That's all I got, y'all. <laughs> wow. <laughs> well, I would definitely watch that if you filmed it. We should do that. We should reach back out to him and say, hey, we have ideas. We have thoughts. We have ideas. 500,000, please. <laughs> He's going to be like, okay. He's going to say, okay. <laughs> Found is hosted by myself, TechCrunch senior reporter Becca Skutak, alongside senior reporter Dominic Midori Davis. Found is produced by Maggie Stamets with editing by Kel. Our illustrator is Bryce Durbin. Found's audience development and social media is managed by Morgan Little, Alyssa Stringer, and Natalie Kreisman. TechCrunch's audio products are managed by Henry Pickovit. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back next week. Mm-hmm.